0: and welcome to this episode of The Stag Roar. This episode is brought to you by our mates at Modern Pirate. 100% carbon neutral, Modern Pirate makes an amazing range of men's grooming products and if you're one of our Aussie listeners then you've probably seen them in your quality barbershop. I've used the pomade and their mat clay paste to style what here I have left and their charcoal soap is the business. You can get 10% off every order by simply entering the code STAGROAR at checkout that's lowercase s-t-a-g-r-o-a-r. Look good and support yet another quality Kiwi export that the Aussies are sure to claim as their own. Check them out at modernpirate.com.au. That code again is STAGRAW. Good and welcome to episode 167. This episode I'm joined by the legend Mike Lash from The Real Effect, we have a very awesome and thorough, deep conversation um, going from rugby to fishing to mental health. Um, bloody awesome. We're coming up to Movember, of course, and uh, now's the time. You know, it's always the time, but um, yeah, we talk about taking action for your mental health, and I think that's what Movember and, and what Mike's trying to achieve with The Real Effect is is all about. It's Enough talking, enough hooey, more dewy, Um, and it's bloody awesome. You have to bear with me, for some reason, the internet was playing up a little bit, but it doesn't really disrupt the conversation at all, it's just that there's the odd point where some of the the voices are drawn out, uh, challenges of the internet sometimes, but yeah, it's all there, hang tight, and I apologise for those little moments, but it's an epic conversation, Massive thanks to Mike and in, in the way he opened up for this conversation. Absolutely powerful. Uh, also go and check out uh, James Marshall's podcast that Mike did. Uh, you'll get a little bit more insight into sort of the background of Mike Lash. And um, yeah, without further ado, let's get into this. It's good to be back with another podcast on the Stagger Raw. Cheers.
1: Yeah,
0: Andy. All right. Good morning, everyone. Oh. I'm bumping my headphones. Um, oh, I'm sitting here with with Mike Lash after a fantastic All Blacks win. Um, you'd be feeling good, Mike. Uh, what did you reckon?
1: And it was um, a bit of well, obviously a bit of performance in last week. Coming away with the win. Um, no one likes a draw. <laughs> um, Probably still a few to look on as, as as always. Um, I was just, I, I guess, uh, I don't know. I just thought the Aussies probably could have. We probably could have capitalised a bit more on some of the Aussies' mistakes. Yeah. Um, and he's pushed push that school line out a bit further. But mate, wins a win. So, absolutely. Nice uh, Sunday Avro footy.
0: Yeah, man. Mate, um, you're you're good to talk to yeah, because I'm a big Richard McCall fan. The no way he holds the referee, um. And you're a referee, so you must know what that's like having someone in news. And I think I think Hooper um does that pretty well as well. I saw saw Aaron Smith try to get his point across and then Hooper quickly came across and argued his case. Um do you think we where, where do you see Sam Kane in his referee management? I don't know if you like that word. <laughs> <coughs> no, 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 it's a fair it's a it's a, it's a fair, fair,
1: fair question. Um of I've dealt with Sam a bit before in, in the past, um and he's quite good. He's he reminds me of a um a Reuben Thorne okay. sort of goes about his about his business kind of a bit more behind the scenes. I mean he's a I I thought he played unreal, unreal today. I thought he played Unreal last week, you know, he just leads from the front like he's he's certainly wearing that bad, you know, is that armband with, with reason. Um and he's, but yeah, I mean, I don't think there's been times yet. I mean, he's only been captain for two games, really. There's not been times yet where he's had to kind of have that good old challenge with, um, with the, with the referee. And it's, it's certainly an art. Um, I, I've, I've probably, probably lucky in my career because I've got to know quite a few of the blokes off the field. Um, and I've got a younger brother who's played first class rugby when I was, when I was refereeing it. So. He kind of learned a few of the tricks of the trade off me um, and how to approach referees. And I've always told them that, you know, it's always about having that communication when the time's right. Mm. Um, And I think when you saw today, like, both Michael Hooper and uh, Aaron Smith both talked to Angus Gardner when, like, ball was dead. You know, Mm -hmm. there there wasn't a situation where they were questioning a decision. It was actually just downtime. Everyone's emotional levels are relaxed. Everyone's chilled. And they can actually have an open, honest conversation. I mean, if I've just penalised you for something that you don't quite agree with, I know you're going to be frustrated. So if you tried to talk to me about something else that happened 50 metres away or five minutes ago, as a referee, I'm probably inclined to be... ..to ignore the situation, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and vice versa, if... if if I penalise you, you don't agree with it, and then I try and talk to you again about something else, you're kind of like you don't you don't know about it because I've already annoyed you, and now I'm going to try and add salt salt to the wound. So I've always told players to do it when you've just been rewarded a penalty um, because you're in the referee's good books. A <laughs> bit phrase, um, and the referee's the same. You know, if I've just rewarded you and you're chuffed because you've got this penalty that you earn, perfect time for me to then go to you, slip alongside, and say, hey, look need this to be sorted. And you go, yeah, no, sweet, the ref, I'll get on to that, no problem. So um, I think what, I, what we saw today was quite good, good opportunities for both those players to have those conversations with the referee and actually get credible outcomes rather than having those emotional um, or high
0: level of emotional arguments um, yeah. when they're not really needed. Yeah. Um, I've always been impressed with Ang- Angus Gardner. Did you get a chance to work with him much in the NRC or the Super Rugby even?
1: Um, yeah, I did, mate. Yeah, actually, uh, I got to ref, work with him a fair bit, which was quite cool. Um, as well as in the um, uh, Lions tour. Oh, wicked! Yeah, um,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, and I—I I was pretty lucky. I got to have ref in the NRC um, for for a couple of weeks, so had the had the honour of um, popping around his house for 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 a meal. So um, he's he's a good bloke, mate. He's 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 laid back. He's um, he's a big family man. He's passionate about his footy, and he's he's quite. You've seen him. He's very chilled. You know, mm. he's doesn't let anything bother him. And I think, like a lot, probably today's game would have been a lot more pressure on him mm. than any of the other um, international fixtures he's done because he's refereeing his homeland. And I th- and it was the same thing for Paul Williams last week. You know, there's a, a huge amount of added scrutiny because ed- any decision that somebody debates. There's all, all of a sudden the keyboard warriors jump up and say, oh, he's biased, he's one-eyed, he's, you know. Um, and I thought he did bloody well today. So, um, yeah, it's quite cool to see him out there and
0: create a, create a history for Australia as well. Yeah, you know, it was pretty funny. I was watching with a couple of kids and there's um that double movement. The, the kids were like, oh, he's going to give it, as, he's biased. And then he didn't. And I was like, mm, he's a good referee, that's what he is. It's very hard to be...
1: Um, Man, it's very as a referee. It's very hard to be biased and not uh, and it not be blatantly obvious. Um, <laughs> and I think if you did that as a referee, one, the rest of the referees would probably shoot you. Um, but two, it would be so obvious that even the team that you've just you know been biased towards would would be probably feeling pretty uncomfortable. It's. Uh, <laughs> It's a it's a simple game made difficult by the people that partake in it. And if you as a referee, if you're going to start being biased, it shows up pretty pretty clearly. And I, knowing him, mate, and the career he has ahead of himself, um, it's, yeah, no one wants to to play that card and finish this the career early.
0: Yeah, man. Another impressive man was on on the touch touchline, Ben O'Keefe. Um, I remember playing rugby in Dunedin uh, for varsity Vas- blue and and. Um, him just sort of starting out, you know, he was doing his medical career and decided that refereeing was more him. What, what what's it like sort of dealing with such an intelligent man? Oh, mate, don't know if
1: he's intelligent. I played
0: golf with him and
1: he, he beat me, so he's not in my good books at the moment. Um, mate, he's a uh, oh, he's a top bloke. He's um, yeah, he's a very very good friend, um, and it's been quite it's been quite awesome to see him. Um, get to where he is and continue on his on his path. He um is a deep thinker of the game. Um he still he still practices medicine. So he was actually in Nelson for a couple of days, Thursday, Friday, um, doing some local locum work. Um and then he boosted off on Friday evening up to Auckland, refereed the the Marco Auckland game yesterday and then on touch today. Um so he's got a really good balance there with that to be able to dip in and out of, of the refereeing and into the into his um, medicine and then back and forth. But uh, yeah, he's, um, when I first heard, I was actually having a couple of beers with him and, and another good mate of ours, um, when I first found out he was practising medicine and, and um, uh, yeah, the, the following day I was like, oh, okay, he probably won't go as far as what we think he is because we, we're all a little bit hungover, but uh, he's, um, mate, he's a, yeah, he's a, he's a very, very good man.
0: Yeah, mate. You um brought up your, young, your younger brother, and I and I nearly made the mistake of, of sending the email through to James Lash. Um, I was <laughs> I was scrolling scrolling through your Instagram there, and um, actually, I, I played against him at that two thousand and thirteen um, regional sevens in in um, Oh yeah, yeah, that, that was when you you were hanging out in in the mighty deep south. How was your time there, bro?
1: mate? Mate, I, I I loved it. Um, I was pretty fortunate to spend. Um, yeah, it was quite cool to um to be there um with him, uh, but uh, I arrived I arrived the weekend the Stags won the shield, um, so it was perfect time to roll in, uh, and so yeah I basically turned up halfway through the party and I think two weeks later the party sort of started to wind down a little bit, but um yeah I loved it I I went down there. I'm a helicopter pilot by trade and I went down there to start uh, for for a job and I was sort of refereeing 50-50 and I thought I'll get down there and just do it to keep fit and keep active and the boss was quite keen for us to do it to be obviously out in the community and that and kind of just yeah by accident I suppose in some ways just took off. Um, I got got in front of a few, um, few selectors and they just said oh look we're quite keen to to put you in for this for the South Island um squad, referee squad. So um got selected into that, which took me to the regionals um in the in the mighty Timaru, Uh and then um yeah then I was from that I was into Heartland and all over the place. So I loved it, mate. Right. i I was pretty honored to be able to do my um first class debut um out of out of Southland. Um and my pretty big honor when my name got put up on the uh honours board for first class uh, fixtures next to um, legends like um, Paddy O'Brien and Dave Bishop um, and Shane McDermott. I don't know if I say his name too loud, but.
0: So. Yeah, well. Wow. <laughs> um, it, must, it must be, must, must be a bit of a weird journey, is it? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, it's been a bit over the show. Um, I started refereeing. I did it at school um, to get credits for NCEA. Um, it was easy. It was PE ten credits. It was like sweet. It's, it's, the more credits you know, you could get, the, the easier you pass the the, the year, and you could chill out. So, um, I did did the course, and I've always had a had a had a good understanding of the law. Um, of the game growing up with um, the old man you know we could play any support we wanted as long as it was rugby um, and we're a mad passionate rugby family so um, I was the had one of my older brothers speed, and then the other older brother was just a bit of a tin ass to be honest um, and yeah so when I when I, I carried on rifting in the mo- like Reft in the morning when I was at school and played rugby in the afternoon um, and then busted my knees a couple of times, a few concussions and then when I left school um, it was sort of, yeah, doctor's like, mate, you should probably just give it a rest. And so I went home to the West Coast and refereed sort of baptism by fire Then, As you can probably imagine, rugby on the West Coast is, um, is an experience in its own right. Uh, and I think that battle me quite well. Um I got uh, as, as an eighteen year old trying to tell these these older blokes who um you know you grow up watching um playing for the local clubs you know you sort of knees barking orders at them it was uh it was an experience to say the least. Um but yeah, I was yeah it probably moulded me into having been able to handle some of that um intense moments a little bit better. And then a couple of years at home on the coast, and then I was up at Nelson brief for a brief stint before I moved down to Southland. Um, still refereeing as well, but not not as frequently. And then yeah, down to the down to Southland for for five yeah five years, and then um, migrated back to Nelson um, twenty fourteen. So um, represented three provinces, which was pretty cool, and been pretty lucky to go all around um, the country, as well as a few stints and and um,
0: a few. Uh, It's been a lot of fun Yeah mate So you you were saying about Referring older blokes In in the west coast Is that just because Rugby's a bit bit more Of a way of life there You've got guys sticking around A bit longer And how'd that compare to Southland?
1: Yeah yeah, You've got guys Coming out of the out, Out of the woodwork It's very much old school too So rucking's Kind of allowed. Um and you know, if someone no one's afraid to swing a punch and, and that sort of stuff. So you 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 could very easily go into a game and dish out a handful of cards for a whole lot of Cinderball offences. Um or you could have a ruck and you'd be watching a guy on his off his feet trying to put the ball, some guy and then like the balls there are available. So you're like, I oh, just just get it going. Like you know, you could you could yeah, you could easily make a game become a sevens match pretty quickly if you wanted to. Um, so it it really does test you, um, test that management and just your you know your sort of your, your mindset about staying calm in those sort of um, wild and crazy moments. And then uh, comparing it to Southland, obviously Southland, um, the Premier competition. They, they had a pretty good setup. They had their they had the, the Galbraith Shield comp the Prems, and then they had the, the country division one comp, which in its own right was a premier competition, um, albeit without the the um, stags players in there. And that was pretty cool. That was a lot more structured. Um, you know, they understood what um, what uh, shape looked like, what phase you know, and, and getting set up and all that sort of stuff at set piece and, and and that sort of stuff. So that was quite cool. It was it still. It was very country orientated, obviously. You've got, you got know, the odd trip to um, to Tiana or um, down to Ohio, nightcaps and stuff like that. So I live in a little place called Waikai, so even myself, I was out in the country. So yeah, it it, it, it was almost just like rolling into a bigger vision of the coast in terms of travel and getting around. Um, so, which, which is, I mean, I'm a country kid, so it made it quite uh, quite an easy transition.
0: Um, yeah, <coughs> and, it was and, good. And so that was, the Waikai was where the helicopter job was, it was?
1: Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so I was an hour and a half from Invers. Um yeah, lived in a little, little, little uh, on a station, little um, Shepherds Quarters for for a few years, just working for the helicopter company that was based on that, so um, that was a lot of fun, really, really cool, really, well, Boss was awesome, he was super supportive of my refereeing, and, and um, having to go away and whatnot. So I always felt bad because you know, you hit off on a nice sunny day and the helicopter needs to be out doing work and I'm up in Auckland refing rugby. It was um I always felt bad but he was he's yeah, he's been supportive. He still is so he's 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 um he's a good mate and he's always supportive of everything I did. So um it made it quite cool and, and it was interesting coming into a little township like that. Like I are pretty passionate about their footy. Um and when I a, when a referee rolled into town, but they they were supportive of of everything I did. I got to go to um, Canada. On a, had to fundraise some money to get over there, and the um the locals put on every excuse me I think it was the first Wednesday of every month they do a quiz night at the pub to raise money for either playing or local team or sheepdog um club and all that sort of stuff. And they, they put one on and, and raised some funds to help pay for my flights to get me over to, to Canada and back. So, um which was awesome. Like just they just yeah, happy to help out locals going off and doing things. So um it was pretty cool. Pretty good night. Pretty big night. Um yeah, Thursday was slow but uh yeah, that was awesome. So, yeah, I miss that place a lot. Eh? It's um, I hold it pretty close
0: to the heart. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty incredible part of the world. My um, old man and my grandpa, they have got a pretty close connection with a farm up in Piano Flat, near uh, Glenary Station, and and yeah, oh, yeah. been there yeah. been there a few times as a youngin. Um, the old uh, Bottle Museum is is a classic, and the nine hole golf course is it goes off at Easter. <laughs>
1: Yeah, mate, yeah, well, I was on Argyle, so um, we, it was, yeah, it was, we had a good crew, um, good crew of shepherds, I think my first job at the helicopter company was actually tailing with the boys on the top of the hill, <laughs> and I grew up on a um, farm, so it was a, it was a brand new experience for me, um, nearly got talked into um, eating some mountain oysters, but when someone went ahead of me and I realised what mountain oysters were, I was pretty happy just to go, no, nah, I'm, I'm not, not into that today, so... Um, yeah no it was awesome. It was a cool spot you yeah, a lot of lot of fun and a lot of lot of stories to come from that place
0: you said you' passed up on the mountain oysters, but did you um eat the lambs' tails? no
1: nah, no nah, i didn 't do anything i um no i, I they they i jump in the pen and lift the lambs a few times and they sent me off after I think they tried to make the most of of me being um green to that uh that setup and yeah, they were sending me off chasing single lambs when they just, you know, a lamb would make them break, you know, jump out of the, uh, the um, chute or something like that and had them been tailed and they're like, go and get it, go and get it. So I think, shit, we've got to get this lamb and I'd take off down the hill and clean up a, a broom bush or, or gauze bush or something like that and come back with this lamb and the boys would just person themselves laughing, whereas... Yeah, if a land broker, a land broker wasn't the end of the world, they still had 5,000 to tail. so you know, <laughs> um, But they were like, oh, no, we'll just got to get all of them parent. It was the rule when I just yeah, Keen as fell for it. So, um, yeah, it was, good. it was good fun.
0: So what was the helicopter work you were doing?
1: Um, so I worked for a, an ag company. Um, so predominantly we were doing uh, yeah, fertiliser and top spraying and stuff like that. So I was on the ground, um, ground for a wee while and then um, just driving around Loading the helicopters, and then got got uh, after a season and a bit, got the opportunity to start ferrying the helicopter to and from um, jobs, and then doing a few other bits and pieces on the side. It's uh, getting your license is one thing; it's actually being able to get it, put it to work, get a job, and start building hours. So, um, in in doing the egg stuff, you've got to get it at rating on top of that, so which isn't cheap. So, um. Yeah, I was pretty fortunate. The boss was a he was a good bugger and he just you know, was happy for the guys to work hard and reward them with flying time and that's itself not cheap. So being able to get it for free is pretty um is pretty awesome when you're trying to build your hours up to be sort of employable somewhere else. Um and then it worked in quite well for me because I was away often with rugby, um then I got to keep you know, I didn't get pushed through as fast as, as other guys did because I wasn't obviously there as much. But when I was there, I was able to work and, and get keep the flying hours ticking over. So, um, yeah, we did, did a bit of all sorts, really, but predominantly, predominantly the farming stuff. So, um, yeah, just the fur seeding and, and spraying and then a bit of fire lighting when they were burning off areas and whatnot, um, stuff like that. So, yeah, it was good
0: fun. Absolutely. And so how did you end up leaving Southland? Uh, 2014, I moved back here to Nelson. Um,
1: rugby was going pretty, pretty good. And where I was in Wa- Waikia, it was an hour and a half to Invercargill. Um, mm. it was hour 45 to Queenstown and two hours to Dunedin Airport. So getting anywhere was, um, quite a challenge. And, um, It was costing me a fair bit of money um, driving around, especially through um, my first season in the national squad in 2012. I, in the space of three months, I spent four grand on fuel, driving from um, Waikai to Gore to to, to go to the gym. Um, Every Thursday I went to Invercargill and trained with the Stags. So just hung out with them for the day. Um, Did physio, did did all sorts of stuff, Um, and then of course, travelling too. Um, We got reimbursed and we got um, we got a match fee, but it didn't really. um, It sort of yeah, it wasn't wasn't enough to cover all that bills. Um, And being a low time pilot, you you don't get paid a hell of a lot. People think that you get to. It's a, it's a money earner, but it's something that you've got to work pretty hard on before you get the opportunity to start cashing in on, on the checks. So um, that was probably one of the burners. I was also struggling a fair bit mentally, just being quite uh, isolated and alone. Um, and I just I needed to get closer to home. Um, my parents were still on the coast. Uh, Two of my brothers are up here in Nelson, and I just sort of – I mean, <clears throat> Nelson's kind of been – being boarding school here and that spent time, it's been spending the a time it's been always been an easy I couldn't live in Christchurch <laughs> yeah couldn't whereas yeah say going to boarding school here it's been a, it's a familiar spot so it was, it was uh, kind of a no-brainer to, to come back here and just lighten the load on the financial side of things and, and the mental health and be able to be a bit more central um, to getting around it's it's uh, uh, yeah, it's a lot closer to the airport and of course you go to Invercargill to get to anywhere, you've got to fly to either Christchurch or Wellington before you head to where you need to go. So, um, it made for a few, a few long days travelling. Um, I come home. I did a game in Northland when I was in Southland, and uh, yeah, I I left. I, le- I didn't really have any bugger all wait time in between um, flights, but I left. <coughs> I left Whangarei at, at about eight in the morning, and then I had about. Uh, half an hour between flights from Auckland to Wellington and then the same from Wellington to Christchurch and then Christchurch to Invercargill and then I had an hour and a half drive home um, so I didn't get home till till dark and so that was, that was the whole day buggered um, yeah. whereas being back in Nelson it was been quite handy because I could leave and it's a direct flight to Auckland so I could book an early flight home and Avoid all the traffic in the morning and be back here in Nelson at eight o'clock in the morning, and the days, the day's free to do something. So um, that certainly made it a lot easier.
0: Yeah, man. So you you brought up the word there, mental health, and and what, what you're doing with the the real effect is sort of um, trying to deal with to mental health in the amazing settings of, of fly fishing. oh um, mm. you left some good fishing, but uh, Nelson Lakes isn't so bad, eh?
1: No, mate, to be honest, I actually didn't get to do, have a lot of fishing down there, um, which probably probably drove me, not in a bad way, but was it was hard for, in the aviation or in the agriculture industry, um, especially in the aviation side of it, you, you know, the age old saying, you've got to make hay when the sun shines, so um, when the weather's good, we're out working, um, and that could be three weeks on the trot. Um, the only time we'd have a time off was if the weather was bad, mm. and even then it would be you would you were kind of it was a cruisier day, but you'd still be working because you'd be getting everything ready for when the weather became um, good. So I'll never forget it. One of the first times I got down there, one of the other guys I worked with, he was into his fishing as well, and um, we boosted off in the afternoon about three o'clock. Oh, we well, basically freighted it from the hangar, headed to the Waikakai River and we saw a couple of trout, and the boss had said to us, oh, I'll come and get you if I need you, and we we're like, piss off, mate, it's three o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, we're not working, we're done, and I'll never forget it, mate, He, oh, we got out there, and I was like, yeah, this is good, right, we're into it, <clears throat> saw a couple of trout, and we're kind of like scoping them out, and then all of a sudden, you just hear this turbine start roaring into life, and... I was like I said to the other, my workmate Mike and I was like what's that and he's like that's that's the five
0: hundred.
1: I literally <laughs> had to do everything. He flew, boss flew over. Well, I did leave Rod on the on the side of the river. He flew over, picked us out, and we are headed off to um, Seward Downs to do some um, fur, just like that. And to be honest, I, it was probably a good couple of years before I got got to get back onto the river. Um, luckily one of the other lads went and grabbed their fishing rods, otherwise they'd probably still be there. Um, but, <laughs> <got> uh, <laughs> yeah, like, it was it. It was just, uh, we got to work. And that was, so, I think for me, like, I struggled a bit with um, depression a few years back from an incident that happened on the coast. And my release and my way of disconnecting is being out on the water and being out in nature. And being so, so sort of busy down in Southland, um, it, and of course then when rugby took off it made it really hard for me to, to try and fit in there mm-hmm. and I'm a bit of a perfectionist um, as well as the needs and wants to be liked so I was running around working my ass off on the helicopter company to kind of justify the right to be away refereeing
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and then when I was away refereeing I was working my ass off to do that to one justify being there mm-hmm. but also also justify to everybody back at home that I'm not, um, you know, I'm not slacking off from work. I'm I'm actually, you know, working hard at this, and in turn forgot to work hard on myself. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, with the real effect, it, it's I was trying to set it up as a program, a more of an early intervention um, scheme for for men's mental health. I, I feel that in New Zealand we're we're very good at Creating awareness and and, and and emphasizing the the need to have these bigger conversations. But um, for me personally, my opinion is there's too much ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. There's mm. not enough. There's not enough at the top saying, you know, this this come this way. And it's something that I I feel very I'm very passionate about, and I, and I I I I need to do this. It's something that when I when I stood up and acknowledged to myself that I needed to change and needed to sort myself out. Um, and when I got a rod back in my hand and stood in the middle of a river, it just opened my whole world up to everything that I'd been missing out on, even though I felt that I hadn't because I'd been so consumed in everything I was doing, trying to please everyone. And I was pretty fortunate a couple of years ago, I took a couple of the coaches, um, for the Tasamarco team out for a day. Um, they had a day off and they're into their fishing and they were keen to go. So took them out for a day and I'd been I'd been mulling about this ideal of the real effect and um, in setting a program up like that. I mean they do it in Australia, they do it really, really well in Australia and they've in a few places over in the States as well. But so I but I'd been trying to work it out what's gonna work best, you know, here. And I took these two two lads out and um, we saw we saw quite a few fish, didn't catch any. Um, and then at the end of the day, we stopped at a bakery for for a pie and a coffee. And um, one of them, who's also a Super Rugby um, coach, just sat there and just said, "Mate, I I needed that." <laughs> and, and for me, it was quite uplifting and quite empowering because I was like, we didn't talk an ounce of footy all day, didn't talk one word of shop, and we barely had that many that many conversations anyway. But it felt like we'd been you know we're completely connected on a different level, and yeah they were it was cool because it kind of reiterated to me right this is this is actually there's some benefit in this there's some worth in actually doing this for our men because you know um our men are good at bottling it up, and men are good at saying she will be right and mm-hmm. you know and there's also the tall poppy syndrome that we have in this country where no one else can do better than someone else because someone else has already, I did that this year, back this and there. So, you know, people are quite reserved in in sharing their successes because there's a phenomenal amount of people out there who are pretty keen to, um, you know, knock them back to to ground. And and I compare that with our women who are, you know, they have their own um, mental health uh, struggles and that, but they they just have such a better network Mm -hmm. to be able to, talk and connect whereas like i said our blokes just shut up shop and the real effect i'm I'm trying to provide a a, you know a space and an environment for them to knock down those barriers and have those conversations and, and you know speak about the bigger issues and hopefully get away disconnect you know to reconnect recharge and reset and come back into the community as as you know as better meant um to you know to then go on and serve others so It's an opportunity. Um, You know, opportunities. I, I, I'm I'm a big believer that talent um, and skill, you know, everybody has, um, but opportunities, um, you know, don't come often. You know, doors were opened up for me. They're opened up for you, and what I'm trying to do is open up doors for others to go on and, you know, and do the same. Yeah, man. You
0: you brought up there where they were busy, and and that's a good way to sort of hide away and and, um, sort of you know, make an excuse for, for not doing something or not engaging. And, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, I'm busy. And yeah. um, again, another female good at good at articulating things. Dr. Libby says, you know, you're busy at uh, doing the things you say yes to. And, and that's why you were sort of saying, you know, you were continually saying yes to to the refereeing, to the driving, to, to sort of justify your existence. You know, you, you see it all, all the time in the rural sector. I'm I'm busy this week, mate. I've got all this, 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 and this, and this. And it's like, well, actually, you've got, you know, 12 hours in the day. Um, let's set aside half an hour and let's catch up and have, yep. have a deload. Yeah.
1: Everyone's busy being busy. And, yes. and even now, you know, um, post lockdown, everyone's trying to sort of recapture and re get back those six weeks, um, <laughs> <and clears throat> which, to be honest, is unachievable. I've got. But I was very much like that. I I was always I, I consume myself with um, with the rugby and you know you know as a, as a referee there's a lot of footy we've got to watch we've got to be deeply analytical about our game um, and in watching other games to kind of just understand different pitches and how we would referee that and, and, and kind of fill our toolbox up so when those scenarios um, you know present themselves in a game we've got that and you know, we can got the process in place that we can actually act on it and get the outcome. <laughs> and so I was very, when I was, when I was really battling, I was very, very easy to say, no, I've got, I've got to watch the rugby. I've got to prep for this game and I've got to do that. I would never game for three weeks, mm-hmm. but I'd say it just to, just to avoid um, that connection. And I'm, I'm a, a quite an outgoing and, and friendly person. You know, I, I I'm, i I I care about everybody that comes past, you know, through my path. But I was saying I was busy to, you know, some of my best friends who say, mate, catch up for a coffee and I'll like, oh no, I've got to go to training or I've got a I've got rugby to do, I've got a conference call to have. I had fucking nothing on. I parked up at home watching T V because I didn't want to go anywhere, I didn't want to get out. Mm. And it wasn't until um a couple of events happened. I got in twenty Look this study here, right? 2016. Um we had we had a like a in the refereeing squad, we had a super squad, which was um a group of guys that assistant we were predominantly minor 10 cup referees and assistant referees for super rugby. And at the end of 2015, yeah, yeah, would have been 2015, there were quite a few guys that did the World Cup and um retired. Mm-hmm. And there was an opportunity for others to um to step up. And, and go into the, the professional ranks, which turned out to be Ben O'Keefe, Paul Williams, and um, Brenda Pickerell. and I was in that uh, group as well. Um, but I I got I went the other way. I actually got dropped, and it was sort of it was a frustrating. It kind of snowballed a lot of things. I got told I got told one year that I needed to be more professional because I was quite laid back on the footy field and have a laugh and take the piss and and you know. Um, I got told off i in a game um, Hawkes Bay Taranaki in Napier. It was a late game. It was back when they had the six hundred five and eight zero five kickoffs on a Friday, and mm. I had the eight o five game and um Richard Buckman asked me what the time was, and I said eight thirty and he was obviously wanting to know how long to go on the half, but I told him the li- literal time of the day and um a couple of the other guys giggled and laughed and thought it was quite funny. And then I said to him, Oh, mate, there's 10 minutes to go. And he sort of, yeah, righto. But I got told off because it was unprofessional. Um, and so then at the end of that, end of the year, the review, they told me I need to be more professional. So I was sent, Right, sweet, no problem. So I started being a hell of a lot more professional, turning up to games, you know, dressed in proper attire, you know, not turning up in tracks. So I actually turned up in our number ones and I left in our number ones. And I was a hell of a lot more professional about how I went about myself. And at the end of that year, they told me that um, they want to see more Lashy. And so I was like, okay, righto. So relaxed a bit on the professional side of things. um, And at the end of the following year, they said to me, we're not too sure if you know who you are yet. And (laughs) on the surface, I'm sitting there going, what does that all mean? Like, you've just told me to sharpen up. Then you told me to chill out. Now you're telling me what? And underneath, I was really struggling at the same time. Um, so when they told me that, and then they actually said, look, these guys are going ahead and you're actually going down a level, it was a massive kick in the guts um, because I'd obviously failed on one thing that I strived so hard to do was make sure everybody was happy and, and you know, everybody appreciated me. So at that same time, I got aligned with... Um, with a with a coach, Rod Hill, who was the um, referee manager for the referees at the time, who um, who, who became a, a, a mentor in life for me. Um, but that was kind of breaking point, because I also was working part-time at a tax refund place in Nelson, and that job fell over. Um, and I, had, I was in a relationship at the time, and that fell over as well. So in the space of uh, a week or two weeks, I went from sort of living life on easy street to going to all of a sudden being at home, curtains shut, lights off, no one home, just me for three weeks, going mm-hmm. going to work or still phasing out of the job, but just shut up shop. And um, it was tough. It was, it was hard. And I remember um, my brother come and pick me up. He's a um, builder, and he wanted a hand with to load up some stuff, and I picked him. He picked me up, and he just said, "How are you getting on?" And I kind of just, I just told him, "No man, i I'm not good. I'm struggling." And it was a big wake up call for me because I was being this yes man to all the wrong things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: None of it was actually making me happy because I was too busy trying to make everybody else happy. And in turn, not actually for not filling my own cup. Um, and one of the most, well, probably the most liberating thing I've ever done in my life was actually admit to myself that I wasn't, I needed some help. Mm-hmm. Um, and As soon as I did that, just the whole weight came off my shoulders. And mm-hmm. I just changed my mindset through talking to a counsellor for, for, for a while um, about what was actually driving my need to i was just filling the wrong cup i was filling everybody else's cup and not mine and when i pulled it back and worked it out that you know i need i needed to fill my own cup and what that looked like um i fell back in love with the outdoors and i was i become a yes man for all the right reasons so someone would text me and say you want to go for a run i'm like yep Yep. What time? We'll see you there, and i will be there. And when a coffee? Yep, yep. Be there, be there. The coffee one was a tough one because I ended up having about six or eight a day. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was it. That, that, that got me. It got me off the couch. It got me away from the bottle. Actually, I started drinking like every night after work. I'd have a beer and ended up having a couple of three. And it just wasn't. It just wasn't good. The fitness blew out. I just turned into a, a slob. And I knew I didn't want to be in that position, but I felt like. I felt like I couldn't... Have you been in a, in a dream and you try and yell, but you can't? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what it's like. That's what it's like. You want to reach out and you want to tell anyone, but there's no voice. Mm-hmm. And when it, when it came for me, it just... Yeah, it was like going from a black and white movie to a colour movie. It just sort of everything just opened up and became... Pretty special, and when I got back out into the river, actually I went down home to the coast for for a week. Um, dad's a he's a whitebaiter by trade, I suppose you could say. Um, and I spent a week down with him and mum, and I just went out the river and I just stood in the middle of the river and I and I could I could just feel all the the pain and the negativity just just washing off, um, and. Yeah, it just made me – it made me start to fill the cup. And I, I was pretty fortunate we got to, at a referee squad. So, like, you know, I went and pulled everything right back and said, right, what makes me tick? What really gets me – gets me up and gets me going? And I, I talked to a guy, um, Don Tricker. He used to be in New Zealand rugby. now works for the San, San Diego Padres baseball. Mm-hmm. as a um high performance manager. Um I was talking to him at a at a um at a referee uh pre pre year camp um and he said well, so we're kind of talking about this sort of stuff and he just said that well, high performance sport isn't fair. If it was yeah. everybody would do it. You and I would be all black. They're having a different conversation. Yeah. Um but people get so focused on wanting to please everybody else, you know, and social media is a massive driver of that, everyone's fishing for likes um, but at the end of the day, the only people that really matter are the ones that actually just care about you, and to me that's my family and my closest friends, they don't, my family don't give a shit if I'm refereeing um, a for the shield bench, they're, they're, they're chuffed and they're proud and they don't care how well I go or how poor I go, they just want to make sure I enjoy myself and they, want, they just want what's best for me. They just want me to be happy. And when I, when I blew all that apart and realised that I didn't actually need to go out there and read all the comments after every game that I ref to make sure that nobody was disappointed in my performance and if someone was, you know, get a bit frustrated and upset about it, it kind of just shifted a massive weight. And it was... Yeah, and as I say, jumping back to the fly fishing side of things, the more I got out into nature in between in between matches, the better the better prepared I was for, for game day on Saturday. So I could I, I managed to climb back up into the ranks and get myself back into running touch for Super Rugby and being a senior referee in the national squad. So it was quite a um I look back, I wouldn't change a thing. It was tough, it wasn't fun. Um, but I wouldn't change a thing because I don't believe it would, um, I wouldn't be where I am now today and the person that I am if I hadn't gone through that that, yeah. that struggle that challenge.
0: Man, thanks for sharing that, it's bloody, bloody powerful. Um, you are saying about how it's kind of like a dream where you're trying to scream and, and nothing comes out and listening to you now, you're, you're extremely articulate in the way that you can describe sort of what's going on and what happened and, and and sort of putting words to the feelings that you had um as someone as well that sort of went through university trying trying my hardest, trying to be good at rugby at the same time and then sort of uh come the end of it all starting working going holy heck and, and thankfully a, a girlfriend at the time said go do some psychotherapy like find it again pr- probably similar to you find out who the heck you are yeah. and then you know it took me three sessions to just start to get some vocab going and, and mm. And I've revisited it a, a couple of times with, with various professionals, and and through different things, like you say opportunities, um, different times that um, psychological skills pop up, and they just give you a framework and a, and a vocabulary to describe what's going on. How huge was doing some counselling, you know?
1: But it was it was awesome because um, I still I still at the time had you know had this fear of being judged by those close to me. Um, because obviously we we live in an you know, in an environment of the hard nut or um, you know, don't be a pussy. Um but I was still very reserved of sharing a lot of stuff to people until I kind of and until I'd done my own homework um on myself and, and how to kind of I was say combat, but how to kind of how to work in that environment. Um and then I could share it with others. And when I started sharing it, it was quite Powerful because a lot of people, um, like when I started telling close friends, they were like, a lot of them were not pissed off. They were gutted that they didn't know and gutted mm. that they weren't there to help out. But and I've said to a lot of people when I've said to me, "Hey, look, I've got a friend who's struggling. What do I do?" And I'm like you, you, you can't. There's only so much you can do as a as a support person. You can't. Um, you don't need to understand or know what they're going through. You just need to be there to to support and be there when they when you need them. Um, but and, and I think <clears throat> What also helped me was the referee um, My coach Rod, we delved Really deep into the mental Side of that And I read <laughs> I suppose you could call them self-help books But I read a lot of books on um, Mental toughness and um, Mindfulness Do
0: you have some of the Titles that you read? I found um, Dave Gilberth's, um book Bloody amazing. <laughs> Dave Galbraith, awesome. Um, what have I got at the moment? I've got that
1: Perform Under Pressure, um yep. Kerry Evans, the one that Richie oh. McCourt talked about. Yeah. I've read um Mind Jim was a real good one. Really, mm-hmm. really enjoyed that. Um there's there's oh, mate, there's quite a few. Um I've got a bookshelf um full of them and I quite often pull one every out and every now and then. Um John Kerwin's book. Yep. I've read that oh shit four or five times. Um, My mum gave me that book and it's been it's pretty cool. I've read that quite a few times. Another family friend of mine, Doug Avery. Oh wow, yeah, farmer. Um, I did a game over in um, Seddon was a preseason minor ten cup game and talked to him afterwards. I went to school with his sons, um, and it was pretty cool because I kind of just opened up to him right then and there because I you know I knew he would understand Hmm. and. I've got his book and I've read that a few times and it's quite cool when you get to read those because, you know, it's like watching a movie for the second time. You pick up on stuff that you missed the first time around mm. and um, I probably need to get double books because some of them I've written all through or I've torn the page out and I've stuck it somewhere and, and so, yeah, I probably need to, you know, have a full... If I if I read them again, it's it's a bit hard because I suddenly <laughs> want them to the know. Um, but reading... Reading those books and then putting them into practice in life and in rugby um, was was really powerful because it allowed me to actually still very much bring me um, yeah. not only to the game um, but just bit me back to life. Um, you know, like I said, I was running around trying to make everybody happy, and everybody saw me as 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 a happy go lucky, funny um, person, but underneath. Um, you know, I, I, I sometimes I didn't want to be there, um, mm-hmm. and I'd make up an excuse that I had to, had to go because I had a conference call, but no one was calling. So um, all of that stuff was was massive just for me to be able to kind of just sit back and restock my own toolbox, um, and then from there being able to start the real effects, and then um, share my own story through you know through through chatting with you and and, and sort of on the social media channels it's been quite humbling because i've had a lot of people um, a lot of friends connect and say Mm. that they themselves have struggled or are struggling or battling um and it's been quite cool to and quite rewarding for me to sort of not well can't fix them or can't cure them but just to be able to say well you know when i was struggling i did this and i did that and 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 just trying to understand who better who they are as people and then it to what they may do, um, you know There's a, Nelson, you know we've got a lot of close friends here and, and some of them, you know, it's a massive mountain biking region and you know some mates have, have lost that, been struggling and it's like get back on your bike mate, get get, it, get back out to where you want to be and then of course, you know, they go and do it and get a message going mate I should have done that <laughs> months ago just it's quite empowering like I said before about those opportunities, you know, it's 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 then passing that you know what I've learned on to others and, and this stuff shouldn't be shouldn't be bottled up i'm, I'm I've become quite an open book, albeit um, very nervous about it a lot of times when I sh- share stuff or when I talk to people I still have that you know um, I'm very nervous and anxious about it and because yeah, I'm being very vulnerable but i I see. Oh, so the end, I see the end point. Um, I see the benefit. I see what it can do mm. um, by sharing and 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 hopefully, it, all it does is
0: empowers others to do the same. You yeah, made I, I was um, on a what was it? It was, it was kind of like a coaching mental weekend. Um, with some guys in Australia Real Movement Project. And they had, they managed to get Steve Anson on there and he was talking a lot about Kerry Evans in and, and, and his book and stuff. And that was one of the key takeaways from not just Steve, but a number of um the coaches that spoke on them. they had the Brisbane Broncos coach on as well. And he was speaking about vulnerability and they're just saying how how much they've found that that word, that vulnerability enables them to connect on such a deeper level with their team, enables the team to be themselves. And you saw that in the blues this year with the with the hair yeah. colours and stuff, like, you know, being them true selves and, and then following on to expression. And and then you said you're sort of, you're still quite nervous and, and almost anxious about sharing this because it is, it's massive. And as I said, thanks so much for sharing. Um, what do you think, you know, and it was your brother, but what do you think was, was, Gave you that courage to say to your brother, "Not, oh should oh, yeah, she'll be right," but actually, mate, I'm 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 in the shit right now. Mm.
1: Um,
0: I think a, a combination of
1: things. Um, at the time, um, you know, I was sitting at home, and I've got a dog. Uh, we Jack Russell, and he's been my best mate for nine years, and he know, he came up and sat up beside me, and you. you Dogs are powerful things, man. Like they just—they know. They know when you're down. They know when you're out. And he came up and sat beside me. And he's only a wee fella, but he just—the look on his face was like you know he could tell something wasn't right. And and he, and he gave me this lick on the side of the face, and it sort of it sort of uh, like I said, um, they're powerful creatures. It it, it really. It just kind of made things it put things into perspective. Mm. And at the same time my brother was he texted to oh, say, I'm um, you know, can I grab a hand? And um yeah, the weak dog man, I get a bit choked up talking about it, but he just it just put things into perspective that, you know what, um I need to I need to get right, I need to sort this out. Um, you know, I've got a family that um Deeply, and I would do anything for. And I've got friends that you know I'm the same. And there's so much to life, and and my brother, uh, like I say, we're a very tight family. Was there's there's four of us, um, four boys, five if you include the old man. Um, <laughs> Your mum's done well. Oh yeah, yeah, she's a she's a saint, mate. I don't know how she, she's done it. She's given birth to four boys, but she's had to raise five. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I just when I Sat in the car with with Andy and just I just said I oh, no, mate I'm, I'm I've got depression I'm not right and I'd done the um a wee bit beforehand I'd been home as well and to to the to the coast and I told mum and dad I said I was going to go I was down the the, the white boat hut with them um, and I told them that I was going to go and catch up with a couple of mates um for the night and we're going to go to you know to um Franz Joseph and a few beers and whatever. And just went back to the house, parked up on the couch, and I did, um, I got on the depression.org.nz website and did the uh, did John Cohen's test. And that hit me between the eyes, because it was just, it was saying everything that I was feeling. Um, mm-hmm. And it felt like the computer was talking to me. And um, that was tough. I, I lay on the couch and cried most of the night. And then the next day, went back down to mum and dad's, and then left, and then it was a couple of days after that that, that Andy um, Andy mentioned me to give him a hand, and the fact that I think when I said it, it just came out when I said to him, I'm not, I'm struggling, and he didn't he didn't um, react, mm-hmm. he just listened to understand, and it, he's got a couple of young kids, um, and they're, they're my kids, and I've never, well, battling, battling depression, I've never been in that suicidal mindset, but I've certainly had times where I've just happily get on a plane and bugger off to another country and start start afresh um, and just don't want to be, you know, be here anymore. Um, but well, it, was just, it was just a wave of emotions that kind of came back and, and you know, his kids, my older brother's uh, kids who, like I said, done, done mine. Um I just, yeah, I just said to him, and I think as soon as I said that to him, I'd, I'd already accepted it, and I already acknowledged it to myself. Mm-hmm. I think for anybody like with depression or anxiety, the, 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 the biggest challenge of it is, 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 being honest to yourself and acknowledging it. And I think once you do that, it makes it, um, just it knocks those barriers down. So when I did have that conversation with, when I told my brother, it was a lot easier because I had already. I'd already accepted it in my mind.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's there's a sort of a a structure of grief out there, and, and that's sort of your your final step or your 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 aim to get to, and you'll you'll go back and forth. But if you can get to acceptance, then you can start making making a plan. And so what what did how did you sort of begin to make a plan to move forward?
1: So I sat down with the counselor and. Um, and we just sort of delved real deep into what what the driving force of it all was, and from there just began to um, set in play some sort of daily tasks and weekly tasks what i what I wanted to do for the day to be on the on the right side of the line um, and a lot of it incorporated what 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 I need you know that I need human interaction, I need to um, you know communicate and you know, talk shit with someone about the weather, or I need to catch up with my mates and have a laugh and a bit of banter. I need to have, I need to be physical. I have some physical exercise for the day. I need to, I need to move. And then the weekly ones was, you know, I need to, I need to be outdoors. I need to go for a run. I need to either go fishing or go for a walk or be in nature. And I need to. You know, sort of succeed in those daily tasks to obviously succeed in the in the week. Um, But it was also ones that look uh, are small wins. You know, we're Mm. often always um, focused on you know achieving the big stuff, but it's just those small wins. And if we didn't get it done today, it wasn't they weren't they weren't sort of um, they were measurable in the sense that it was it was. yeah, realistically achievable. Mm. Um, like say having a coffee with a mate, um, and or going for a walk. Well, you know that wasn't. Um, I could walk. I could walk to, a, to the coffee. So you know, killing two birds with one stone. But I was still sort of outside and, and um, interacting, and it made it yeah, it made it easier. And, and it was also about getting a. Um, you know, we, we try and get a, a, a balance. In life but it was more about getting a rhythm um, because some weeks some of those goals weren't achievable because of yeah. the week that was ahead um, it might have been um, like when I was, might have team cup uh, a couple of years back they had the Wednesday night games and so uh, some some weeks um, you know I refed on a Sunday, Sunday in Manawatu a Wednesday in um, Dunedin, ran touch for the Tasman here on a Thursday night and then Saturday I was in um, auckland for a game so busy week yeah so you know so so ticking most of those boxes was quite a challenge but you look at that week and it's like right it's a compacted week but then if you actually open it up to two weeks it's pretty even mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know and people people can get so narrow focused on that week and how much it's compacted, oh, I haven't got time, I haven't got time. But if they open it up and go, well, in the space of two weeks, it's actually next week. don't I'll smash this week, I'll sacrifice a mountain bike ride, I'll sacrifice a swim, because I know next week I've got a hell of a lot more time to catch up on it. Um and yeah, I think everyone's so time poor at the moment, which makes it real tough. But if you open the open the week or the month up, you know, it might just be those four or five days out of those thirty that you're actually jam-packed work-wise and there's plenty of time um next week you know it's it's got it's got to be done today it's got to be done today it's got to be done today well maybe do it tomorrow like (laughs) plenty of time um and yeah for me it was about accepting that because in the past i did the opposite i was always no, no, I've got to get this done. So he's happy. So then he's happy, and then then she'll be happy, and we're all happy, and life's good. And it's like, right, sleep, rinse, repeat, do it again. So by kind of going, well, you know, okay, it's not going to happen this week. Planning my week, um, you know, I was a big big believer in um, plan the work and then work the plan. Yep. And Every every Sunday was quite religious in that sense that I would plan plan the week and how it's going to go about. And obviously, the goalposts could move because um, the what ifs would jump up. You know, there'd be scenarios, something at work that all of a sudden took you, took the day. So, your two o'clock catch up with your mate for a brew all of a sudden, you know, didn't happen. Um, so, for me, mate, it was just, yeah, just about planning those micro micro plans and those micro goals throughout the week, um, which then themselves created a, a habit
0: yeah mate i think the other powerful thing about having the plan like um i've got a year planner uh written down that was that was one of the uh one of the things that that the coach i did some work with early in the year sort of said about you know get get your next six months you know roughly laid out and um like you say have a plan and stick and would you say work to the plan and um then then you get the opportunity to look back at it and you go holy heck there's the, like I say, the micro wins, there's a lot achieved there, eh? And it, that, yeah. you know, that gives you, a, I don't even think it's a, a um, dopamine boost, I think it's more like a serotonin boost, you're kind of like, oh, yeah. man, I've off, off, off scaled up or, or something like that, you know, it's, it's awesome. Yeah,
1: and, it, and, it, and it allows you to lift your focus up to look further. Yeah. You know? And you're like, you're right, you know, and, and a lot of that stuff, like I said, it creates those habits and becomes routines, so that when you you, you start looking further ahead. You start looking twelve months ahead, mm. um, because you have you're achieving those goals, and, and and even then, in themselves, they become they they fall off in the, in that sense that they don't they're no longer goals. They're habits. So mm. new ones come into play, and it might be that you know in the, in the gym you're you're deadlifting eighty kilo, and after th- four weeks you're doing. One hundred and twenty, and it's and but for you, it's you can't even remember doing the eighty because it's long gone. It's a it's a force of habit. So, Hmm. yeah, mate, it's very much the same. It was and and it was quite cool because for me through rugby, um, because rugby was quite constant. Obviously, week in, week out, the the weeks the weeks were quite constant, but they're also varied in the sense that the games shifted so different days, were quite different things and it also allowed me to have a lot more self confidence
0: mm-hmm.
1: if i didn't get that done today it's not the end of the world and i'll still be able to referee that match on saturday with the skills and capabilities that i've already have mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. throughout the week you know you watch a lot of footy and um and video clips on different scenarios and different phases of the of the game. And if for some reason you didn't get to tick your daily um, box of watching X amount of clips for the day, it's not the end of the world. You know, everybody everybody knows what a knock on is, everybody knows what a scrum is and what a forward pass looks like. It's it's you know, you're yeah, if you don't if you don't get it, it's not. The end of the world. Um Like when I spent five years down in Southland, I never got to referee the um Premier Final, mm-hmm. even though I was in the national squad for a few years while I was down there. I was I was number two referee behind Keith Brown, who was the current professional referee. Mm-hmm. Um, ironically, I didn't get to referee the final because the reason was because I wasn't from Southland. Um, but <laughs> but looking back, you know I've I've been fortunate. I've done some Grand Shield matches. I've you know I. um have done hard and semis, I've ar super rugby and that. And I've never once gone, shit, I wish I'd done that final. I'd know what to do right now. Yeah. You know, so it might be for you that, you know, throughout the week you miss you miss a run yeah. and then you go off to an event and you you get around the, the 30th K and you've got a K to go and you start cramping. You're not going to be like, shit, I wish I'd run that that 10K run six weeks ago I wouldn't be cramping out now. You know, it's just... If yeah. it if it hasn't happened, it's uh, you know that day. It's not.
0: It's not the end of the world. <laughs> and um, from my experience trying to get into Sevens teams and Canterbury sevens teams, it's been. I wish I had done a little less training. We always uh, we do hard in build boats, I mean, or whatever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's very easy, yeah, mate. It's very easy. I, I yeah, I've
0: refed a fair bit of that in
1: my time, and it's very easy to see guys. Um, I, was, I up used up. to. Uh, yeah oh, yeah and even um it was always funny doing the Wellington Sevens or Hamilton Sevens now um because they had each team obviously has physios and and you know doctors and that but they had um site physio masseuse um for for guys to get rubbed down to pre and post game and yeah every time you go in there for a, for a, um for a rub down it's just bodies everywhere <laughs> you know, the boys just put themselves through the ring and even as the referees you know like 14 minutes isn't much when it comes to um, if you compare it to, obviously to to 15 a side game but the speed and distance that you travel in that 14 minutes is still quite, quite up there. Um, and you go from out and out acceleration for 15 minutes to nothing. And when you're doing, when we were doing, um, doing the ARing for the stuff, you'd have a game sort of every hour Mm-hmm. So it was very easy to, to, to do it and then head off, take your boots off, go for a walk around the concourse to check out all the costumes and stuff, and then park up and that'd be it. And then five minutes before, you know, or 10 minutes before the game, you go and get yourself ready. And of course, you'd cool down and you know what it's like all of a sudden, everything just stiffs, stiffens up and you're like, shit. Oh crap! You know, so you get outside, quickly grab on the bike, try and warm things up. Even all you're doing is running touch, but you're sprinting up and down that sideline, doing you know back to back to back broncos. It, it, uh, yeah, <laughs> the very first time I did it, I was pretty quickly after my second game into the um,
0: into the sheet onto the sheet of the
1: masseuse and getting the old legs, but uh, yeah, the muscles um, relaxed out. Eh? It was uh, yeah, it was a bit of
0: a laugh. Mate, you, you spoke about sort of opportunities and mates and then obviously speaking to things. More people come out of the woodwork. What was it like to um sit down and have a good yarn with someone like Jones Marshall? And obviously, uh, people like Dupesley Kar- Karifi in, in Wellington and, and Artie Sevier as well have been speaking to this mental health stuff, but you know, to have someone from Nelson say come on board and let's let's hear about this, you know, the rugby community know you. Um, that must have been awesome, man. It was a great yeah. it was a great conversation.
1: Yeah, it's cool. Um, I've known marshy for a long time. I never got to play. Sorry, I never got to play rugby with him. Um, mm-hmm. I've riffed him a few times, but I've only ever time I've played sport with him is we played league in uh, league <laughs> college. Um, and that we were we having a bit of a bit of a laugh about that beforehand because um, we went down and played in a tournament in Christchurch versus I don't know High um, St Pauls from Auckland and. Oh, what was the other team? I was going to say Mount Albert, Grammar. I can't remember. There was three. There was three teams. Well, just five teams. There was there was us plus those other three, and then an invitational team from Christchurch. And we had one guy in our team that had played league before, and he was Australian, and he was terrible. <laughs> um, and we got absolutely hammered. We got beaten the first game, ninety-two nil. And I'll never forget. I played fullback, and I used to love when I was playing, just getting the ball and. And hitting the line, I got smashed, I got smashed. I don't know why, I just enjoyed it. And I'll never forget, I got the ball from a kick return and ran probably about 10 metres and got absolutely just broken in half by these two boys. And I was winded, and I got up to play the ball, and the guy marking me just slaps me on the back and goes, good run, bro, and winded me again. I was like, I was Yeah, it was that game was so hard. I was so sore. And then we played the next day. We lost we lost ninety-eight four. Uh, we managed to score a try. I scored a try on the corner. And so everybody was just like, Yep, we've got to try. We'll go home now. <laughs> and then we didn't play out of Nui, which was pretty great. Played an invitational team. And Marshy carved up actually, he was putting all these up and unders and we managed to win that game. Um but oh man, it was an experience. It was it hurt so much. But um, but yeah, it was cool to catch up with him and um, yeah, and, and talk about it, um, talk about my journey and, and, and the mental health and what it's um, the challenges it's thrown up at me. Um, it's it's a good thing, mate. It's like I said, um, there's, there's too much um, awareness, mm. raised. Not a bad thing, but there's just not enough being done to change the culture. I think that's what we need to do, and 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 hopefully by, you know, the, the chatting to him, um, chatting to you now, um, you know, it, it. If I if I can get one other bloke to open up, then, you know, we've, we're we're on we're, we're on a victory, and um, I've known Dupes uh, for for a while now too, and it's been pretty cool to connect with him as he shared his journey and he's done. Um, you know, he's done his talks, and it's pretty powerful. You know, when you get him and you get the likes of Adi Savir, um talk about it. And like you said, vulnerability—it's a—it's a massive word, and it's extremely powerful to see these guys, these battle-hardened men, you know, um, open up mm. and say that it's—you know—it's okay to not be okay, and it isn't weak to speak, which it isn't. Um,
0: but they're actually walking the, walking the walk um it's it's extremely powerful mate. Right? it's awesome i think that you've hit the nail on the head it's like not not just acknowledging you know the vulnerability of, of where you're at and what you've been through but and here's what i did <laughs> you don't have to do it this way but here's what here's our tool you know yeah
1: yeah definitely like like i say for me the outdoors and, and um in fishing like i grew up in the bush and on, on the river on the coast and um it's always been a part of me, and like I say, when I lost it, it was it was a tough time. Um, but it doesn't work for everyone, um, yes. you know. The real effect that like we use fly fishing as a vehicle to get outside and speak about the bigger issues. You don't have to know how to fish. You don't even have to have fished before. Um, we we'll, we provide all the tools, all the all the gear, food, and everything. It's just it's a vehicle to get our men outside into our nature, into our, into our, um, you know, comfortable surroundings and have these types of conversations. And Mm. I've, I've been pretty fortunate doing these, doing these missions and taking blokes out and, um, you know, we've sat around a campfire and counted satellites. Um, and it's been, you know, we haven't had the open raw conversations, but we felt like we've had conversations like Mm. the whole time. Um, I've taken guys out where, you know, we haven't even had said a word to each other for an hour, and we felt like we've had the best conversation. And that's probably why I like the fly fishing idea
0: and the concept. Because have you done it before, fly fishing? Nah, it's uh, my my one of my bucket list items: spear fish fishing, fly fishing, <laughs> all the things. As I've said a couple of times,
1: <laughs> and it's, it's, an, it's an art. Like it's not. It's it's there's there's an art to it. But it's also, um, it's so much more than fishing. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, when you're on the river, you've got to move as the river does. And you've got to, when you see the fish, you've got to understand what the fish is doing and what it's feeding on, how it's feeding. And then with that, you've got to pick the fly that best imitates the food it's eating. And you've got to lie it in the water as elegantly and as softly as you can, with it to you know, not spook it, but also in the right place so that it comes across its nose and then it sees it and it'll, you know, eat it. And then, with that, when you hook the fish, that's only part of the yeah. battle. You're in this battle to keep this fish because the line goes from being about 20 pound thick to two pound thick because, you know, it needs to be that small to make the fly look as real as possible. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy to just give it a big yank and all of a sudden, you know, the day's, the day's over, your fish is gone, um, compared to being out, you know, in, in the sea when you get a cod and you just wind it and, you know, chuck it in the bin. So it's quite an art. And when you're doing that, you're so, like, that's why I think it's really powerful in, in that mindful sense, because you're in the moment.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: nothing else going through your mind other than what you need to do to get this fish where you need to be in the river and then when you get it there's nothing going through your mind other than making sure that this fish makes it into your net so if it takes off downstream you've got to take off with it um you've got to let it fight and let it do its thing um and then when you get it in the net and when you do it's quite a sense of yeah, you know, it's it's it's, it's that adrenaline rush, you know. It's not the no. dopamine. That was the other one that you
0: serotonin.
1: Yeah, serotonin. No, you just get, you've 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 won this battle and you've got this beautiful, beautiful fish. You know, we're we're always putting it back in the river to live another day. Um, and I've taken guys out and they've experienced that, and I've just said to them, "Oh, you know, what have what what have you been thinking about today?" And they'll be like, "Not a thing." Yeah. Not I thing, you know, they haven't even thought about their phone, they haven't thought about work, you know, in the nicest possible way, they haven't thought about home. Um, which some you know, some people need that complete disconnect, mm-hmm. and that's what, um, you know, fly fishing does for me. I can fish, I went fishing today and catch a thing, but totally at peace, awesome, you know, and and that's what, and I guess, like, you know, that works for me different things will work for for others it's just about finding that you know that 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 childhood love that you've always had or that Mm -hmm. one thing that just makes you feel it's it's about mindfulness mate for me it's just and it doesn't mean to be sitting under a tree with your fingers closed and and your eyes closed it's it's about being in the moment and, Mm -hmm. and being totally connected to whatever it is you're doing yeah and and so, like you know, like I say, for for anyone, it's just finding that and 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 you know, indulging in that, and I'm sure it'll it'll open up doors for me. Mate.
0: Absolutely, mate. Um, yeah, we, we were speaking earlier about the the concussion at high school and how the doctors sort of said maybe maybe your uh, contact sport time is up? And and I've had a pretty serious one myself and a number of minor ones. Um, do you think that ever played a part in in your your mental health journey? DNA? Do do you know? well, don't know. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. Um, you know,
1: I, I couldn't tell you. Um, yeah. It did gut me that I couldn't. That I sort of had to hang up the um, the, the mouth guard. mouthguard. Um, <laughs> I have. Had, I have made the odd cameo appearance since. I will admit. Um, don't tell the doctors. But um, <laughs> I think from a young age, like I said, growing up on the west coast. Um, Dad was coaching the senior B team, and we used to get around. We, me and my little brother were ball boy, um, yeah. t boys, every game. Um, and I was telling the story the other day. I remember the local, our local um, club, South Westland, was playing against Cocktai, um, which is inland from Hokitika. And um, the referee at the time, Matthew Fearmade, was getting, uh, he was getting abused, like. Pretty severely. Was, I mean, like I said before, I've, I've I've always had a good knowledge of the game and laws. Mm. And even though I was only about twelve, I was thinking I was like, "Well, leave him alone. He's actually he's right. He's he's right in what he's saying." Um, and he called the game off with about oh, five or ten minutes to go and said, nah, buggy, I'm off. I'm not putting up with this." And fair enough, he shouldn't have had to deal with that 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 sort of abuse and that crap. No one should. Um, but I remember then thinking, you know what? When I'm done refereeing, uh, done playing, I'm going to referee. I'm going to, you know, get out there. I'll be sixty. I'll get out there and run around <laughs> for a little bit and get back to the game. A um, little did I. Six years later, it'd actually be um, that would that plan would be coming into into play. Um, so that was kind of my early way of getting into. To refereeing, but in terms of the the mental health, it it probably stems more from an incident that happened at home in 2009 uh, on the coast, where um, I used to be mad into motocross and so like I said, outdoors and that sort of stuff. And um, once I left school, with a few, a few mates that had come back from these colleges around the place and back on the coast, so we sort of um, reignited a few old uh, old. Um, habits, I suppose you'd call it, um, without getting in trouble. Um, so we were kicking around doing all sorts of stuff, and we went motocross riding um, out in the riverbed at home, and there was a whole lot of us there. There was a couple of families, and the old mate had the tractor out, and he was making jumps, and that it was quite a cool, cool, exciting day. And me and my mate turned up a bit late, and the um, one of the parents... Um, was there it said that her and her, her and the boy her and her boy and, and his friend had headed off down the boulder bank um and had been gone quite a while could one of us go down and um check on them and i needed to only had a two-stroke bike so i needed to warm it up before we were around this track and i said yeah, yeah sweet i'll go i'll go down and check on them and um i got halfway down and one of the young boys um Tane comes running up the track and you could, I could tell he was flustered. I was like, what's, what's going on? And I pulled my helmet off and I was like, what's up, mate? And he just said to me, he said, oh, Keegan's, Keegan's crashed and he's not breathing. And I was like, shit, I said, carry on, you know, head back and tell, tell everybody and, and um, you know, tell them to get down here. And I carried on screaming at the top of my lungs trying to find him, um, trying to see where he was. And when I found him, he was, um, he was in a bit of a state. He was in, in, in these rocks and he, and he, he wasn't, wasn't breathing. And so I had to get him out of the out of the rocks and um, get him onto the actual track and from there I get his helmet off and get his his chest armor off um, and I had start doing CPR on him and it was probably a couple of minutes, but for me it just felt a mm. lifetime uh, until you know until everybody else turned up and and started helping um, and then the fire brigade turned up and the and the local doctor and he um he didn't make it, and I think that's probably a big thing that's that that sort of kick started it um because mm-hmm. I felt I failed um, yeah well, yeah for a long time, and from there that started that started me running um, mm-hmm. I didn't want to fail, so um it was not long after that that I left home, I went up to Nelson to finish my um my chopper license off um and then got the job down in um, Southland. And, and then there was just instances, instances throughout my life there on that when I failed, I just, I kind of packed up and ran. And like I say, when I was down down south and I was missing out, I was working so hard to try and make these opportunities and refereeing and I was missing out opportunities flying. Um, and I was just so lonely And I ran back here to Nelson, um, and so that that would be the main starting point. It was tough after that because um, I had a really good friend, a real close friend. That at home even harder for me because she was a she was a beautiful, beautiful person. being somewhere else and I felt so helpless not being able to help where I just was not doing enough to help people um, and it just made me run further so a real tough time and it wasn't enough Think like I said when I got to the point where I said like I've got to stop running. I can't was when I could sort of accept that um, I did the best I could, and in that accident, um, you know, I had nightmares for a long, long time about not doing and. moment where the, the clouds kind of opened up a little bit of he came through and i'm not a spiritual person but it just felt for me like it was a, a little bit of a sign to say look mate it's you know you you did your best and keep living so um that yeah that would that would be where it probably where it came from um and it's just been a yeah been a big catalyst to drive me to where i am now and to what i'm doing what i want to do now so
0: yeah yeah that's that's um bloody heavy um <laughs> uh we when like we saw it today with, with joe moody getting getting knocked um when you're in the middle and someone's in a weird weird situation like that where they might be knocked out or whatever do they sort of feeling did they come back at all did you have, ever have that experience happen no so
1: probably the toughest in a, in a game I'm very conscious of that sort of stuff I'm I'm a, I'm I'm a big believer for these rugby boys that they need to be aware of life after rugby mm. um, you, you know to try and be uh, it sort of pissed me off today when they when the common Said I because they might there. We'll probably see him. I, you know, he should be chilling out for a while. Um, so I've always been passionate on the from the refereeing front. When an injury like that happens, is just to stop and say, "No, nah, no, nah, you're, you're you're heading off. You're not staying on." Um, and go to that player soon after the game, and actually say to them, "Look, mate, I, I there's so much. You know, you don't need to play the next ten minutes to justify being in the squad. Like, you've got to think about yourself." And I'm pretty pretty fortunate, like living here. I've got Ethan Blackhead as a flatmate, um, <laughs> and I know quite a few of the um, Marco boys quite well, and quite a few other boys from around around the country. And having those conversations with them just so that. You know they they do realise if it's an injury like Ethan's injured at the moment and he's doing everything he can to get himself ready for next year Super Rugby, but he's not in a hurry mm. because he knows that you know rugby's so it's it's a, it's an you know it's an unknown time frame. You know the average professional the average times uh, the average professional life like. Uh, Career, I think, is about five years. So, you know, if it could, have, could in tomorrow, where either they have a concussion and they finish playing rugby for the rest of their lives, or they get dropped and no other team picks them up. And what are they going to do? And they won't be to do of a lot if their bodies fuck. So, on the on the footy field and scenarios like that, I've always been a big believer in to say to them that there's so much more to life than you know than this eighty minutes. Um, and it probably comes down to a whole lot of other stuff. So I haven't had any scenarios yeah, where that sort of stuff's come back. I have had... I had a situation... Um, I did a Heartland game a few years back and I was doing a Minor ten Cup game the following week. And I had a scenario where... A kick, went, a kick went over. It was a hand and shield game, actually. Mid-Keneru, South Um Kick went over the post. And one touch, he didn't raise his flag and the other one did. Um, and the one that did didn't really look to see, he just sort of just turned and headed off and the other one behind him was in the, national, in the national squad with me and he he didn't raise his flat, no it didn't go over, so I didn't award it and of course the team that missed, lost um, and so they weren't happy um, which to an extent I can understand because one touch I said yes, one said no at the end of the day I've got to make that decision, Um, and from my view from where I moved to see, it didn't look like it went over but I got a phone call um, the night before I was due to fly to um, I had North Harbour, Otago um, the night before I was due to fly we travelled the day before, stayed the night and then you come home the day after for a minor 10 game especially if you're crossing the um, Cook Strait, and I got a phone call from one of our referee coaches he took treads off me um, for that uh, decision because he was mates at the time with the coach of the team that lost, and of course, he was <laughs> pissed off. And I was also in that same mindset of making you know having that need and want to be liked. So mm. I thought it read well, I thought my review went pretty good. I, I was areas on in the game I needed to improve on, but I was excited about putting that into practice that coming game. Um, and so when I got that phone call and got Got the shreds torn off me. It, it all of a sudden it just left me in this massive space of um, anxiety and 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 doubt. And I was like, "Fuck! What? I, I, I'm not capable of this." And I didn't sleep at all the night the bef- night before I travelled, and then the whole night, the whole day, um, the day before the game, I just had this massive panic attack, massive anxiety attack. I couldn't sit in up in the once I got to Auckland, I couldn't sit up in the car. I felt like I was going to spew. Um, and so I was quite like get the cold sweats and quite sort of just disorientated about the whole thing. And I got to the got to the hotel and I was just sitting in my room going, fuck, I can't do this. I'm not up to this. I'm not up to this. This is not I can't I, I, yeah, I've 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 failed this, you know, they've, they've said I've I got it wrong. I've got it right. How could I get it wrong? And such a such a straightforward game and I ended up grabbing my phone and trying to watch motivational videos on YouTube to snap my mind out of it. And I did that till about three o'clock in the morning. And then I woke I managed to get to sleep, I think, which is the fact that I was just totally exhausted. And I got up in the morning and um, was still sort of in that mindset. Um although I think like fatigue had kicked in a bit too. I was quite tired. And I went for a walk around Albany. <laughs> I went and got a haircut. My game was at about five, and I only got a haircut. And I remember just talking to the barber, and he was just—he was going on about, um, I think he was going on about his daughter or something quite random. And it just managed to kind of calm me down because all of a sudden I just thought I just started asking him questions about it, and mm. it just sort of took my mind off, um, off that whole fear and worry. And there was there was just a few things that he said, and um, a couple other people said throughout the day that just sort of Brought me back around hmm. to be like, yeah, you know what? I, I, that was that was out of my control. That was someone else, someone else's issue. So if coach is not happy with it, tough shit. Um, and I got, you know, I got through that game. It was a pretty mundane game of footy. Um, but yeah, that's probably the only time in my career where I've really just I just had a massive, massive anxiety attack the day before, and I just was freaking out. Something wicked. The cold yeah. sweats, you know you know what it's like when you're four, you're four when you wake up in the morning you 've had too many beers and you just think, oh shit, today 's going to be a tough one." It was just like that just and and I just felt so tiny, I just mm-hmm. felt so minute sitting in the back of this car- uh, this taxi on the way to to Albany, just like i couldn 't sit up because if I sat up, I was going to spew and don 't know what it was like for the taxi driver because I was almost bloody <laughs> lying down. Um, in a you know, in a, in a model pose in the back seat because I just couldn't, I just couldn't stop. It was just, just burning. So it was yeah. from from that point that I did I did a bit of work with uh Jason McKenzie. Works for high performance sport um as a mental skills coach, and I connected with him and and he was awesome. He was a massive help for me just getting myself probably just without him knowing, probably just helping me to kind of bury those emotions mm-hmm. um, to make sure that they didn't come out. Because the last thing I want to do is have something like that in the middle of a game. Yeah. Because that would have gone completely against everything I'm trying to achieve you know, when I'm out there on the footy field. And it's an unachievable goal to have everybody, um, you know, it, you know for, for the need and want to be like. It's a, It's a high aspiration, but it's unachievable. Yeah. Especially as a referee, crying out loud, like, you know, you, you come off a game, at least fifteen people aren't gonna be happy with you. Yeah. Well not they're not gonna be happy with it. they're not gonna, you know. It's not so it took a while for me to, to realise that and to kind of overcome that. Mm-hmm. And I probably see it now that it is what it is. You know, like if a scenario happens you know, someone puts a golf ball through my window, oh, shit, get a new window. you know, Life's life's not over. So, um, yeah, I've got a few of those battle scars, mate, which I think have probably helped me have a bit more open-minded, that growth mindset that I have today.
0: Nice. And sort of, do you think it's, you, you spoke a little bit about there with Ethan, you know, and, you know, whilst I haven't played super rugby, I've definitely felt that all-consuming um, thoughts of trying to make a team, and and that sort of preciousness of of your whole life type stuff, you know, like you know, one one, you know, there's there's a thing from Eric Rash about one, it's just one man's opinion type stuff, and you know that all these all these things, whilst they're important to you and you're passionate about them and you're giving them your all, at the end of the day, they don't matter. The the preciousness of the life and the the people around that. That, love you and, and care for you matter. Like, has um, is, is that been sort of something that you've been able to touch on with, with some of the guys? Um, you know, in a, in a more sort of personal level, like you know, like you say, this it's just eighty minutes, or, or you know, it's just one season, or you know, there's there's more to this. This is a this is a point in time. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: I was I was pretty fortunate. A couple uh, a couple years back, um, the flat I was in, um, Ethan was in it just as he made the Marco. Um, Dave Eaglestaff and Andrew Stevens. Um, Andrew Stevens played over a hundred games for Buller. Um, Dave Eaglestaff's played about about thirty or something. Um, so we were obviously a pretty rugby um made active on it that you know it's not, you know there's there's no way either of them would be playing till they're sixty and there's no way I'd be refereeing professional rugby till I'm sixty. So it was the the Mindset of making the most of it um, mm. and enjoying it um, and um it a pretty powerful quote that uh, Robin Williams said on set I remember reading it not long after he passed away um, and he said we've all we've all got to stand still some at some stage and take everything in because not everybody gets to do what we get to do mm. and he was talking to to another actor on it and I think it's pretty it's pretty real for 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 sportsmen, you know, for sportswoman, you know, not everybody gets to do what they get to do. Not everybody gets to do what I get to do. Not everybody gets to do what you get to do. And I don't think at times, and I've always said that to other referees in the squad when they've um, when they're making their debuts. Um you know I had a I'm very tight with the likes of Ben O'Keefe and Paul Williams and I spoke to Paul before his um doing his Blederslow last weekend. And I just said, make sure you take the time to smell the roses, mate, because not everybody gets to do what you get to do. Mm. And, you know, Ben has, ben has the second low Cup game. So there's another Kiwi who gets the, the opportunity to referee as home nation, which is, you know, is a rare thing. So um, the same thing with those lads and especially with Ethan. Um, Ethan's got a an incredible... Um, Work and right, work ethic, and to be able to sort of be around him and just see him put it into fruition, but also have his own personal passions. Like he's yeah. a he's a he's a hunter. He's a he's a Golden Bay boy. He's a Collingwood kid. So you know he loves the outdoors. He loves going with his mates and hunting and, and all that sort of stuff. So to see him have that balance as well is, is quite good because it's kind of keeps me um, on the right ledger. Um, and the likes of a lot of the other boys, um, the Quinn Strangers of the World, um, you know, the day he got made uh got named in the All Black Squad, um you, you know, he was he turned the TV on to sort of see how many of the, the lads were in the squad and all of a sudden his name gets rung out. And um you know, those guys are they're still very um very grounded and they've got a good good group around them that keep them grounded. Um so it's been quite cool to rub shoulders with those guys, and even when I was down in Southland, there's a few other guys down there. Same thing, rub shoulders with them, and, and the opportunity to referee in the provinces um, and do the same, and just see that you know, for a lot of them, a lot of them are aware that there's life after footy, um, and they've got to prepare for that because that, like I said, that time frame is unknown. Um, there's probably I don't know, um, not in deep, not fully in that. Right in the middle of that industry and in that professional side of things, to know if they do enough um, from New Zealand rugby perspective to support the guys. Um, you know, they can only do so much. It's like I said before, they can only do so much. It's up to the them to actually take that step. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's quite a few of the guys that you know come fresh out of college, and that's probably the biggest challenge rugby has at the moment is they're getting these guys fresh out of high school. They yeah. need to. They don't know anything else other than rugby. And for some of them they'll carry on and be you know very very skilled and capable might ten cup players some will go on and be very skilled and capable rugby players and some will go further but some of them won't make that jump and professional rugby as a player you know the minor cup goes for three months so they've got to think of something else around that and I think we see it with a lot of players that have that external thing. There is something else that they're actually, they know that there is, oh, we'll make the most of this while I can, but once I'm done, I'm going to go and do this. Mm. I think we see those guys really join because they kind of they should sort it out, you know. They're, they're, they're going make the most of this opportunity because it's been given to them through the skills and talent that they have, um, all the while trying to develop their skills and talent to be able to take the opportunity at the next step.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, mate. Um, well you were speaking spoke about you know being more professional and that sort of stuff. And we, you know, I, I sort of played mostly second division rugby. You know, won a few championships in those, but um, the, the odd first uh, premiership game as well. And, and like I said, playing playing um qualifying level, squad level sevens for South and Canterbury. But um, I was always very when it came to the the whole morning basically focused on on the game and then before the game i'd sort of give myself a little outlet i used to do this silly thing on on snapchat called the rugby roundup um just just for a bit of fun i think it was released the pressure valve a little bit before i got serious again what 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 do you sort of do as the referee to mentally prepare on game day is it music in the ears is it walking around is it having the the right food or what, what do you do mate um yeah, but all sorts I mean obviously it depends. Most
1: games obviously play in the afternoon, so it's quite easy to, to structure your day um to that. If your game's in the in the evening, it's a little bit more challenging, especially if you're in a um if you're not in a town that um you're familiar with. Um or if it's a midweek game like a like I might Cup and they had those Wednesdays and the Thursday night games, it was tough because you're your team three, so your you know your ARs and your TMO were obviously at work usually. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the whole day to kind of just twiddle your thumbs. Um but yeah, I was always music, um music was a big one for me. I kind of structured the day pretty well. I I, I don't mind having a yarn. So we all talk always in the refereeing circles I always talked about turning up to, to a game forty five to sixty minutes before kickoff. But I always went for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um just to allow any of that, seeing someone I knew and having a bit of a yarn and a catch up because, you know, when, when everyone's excited about footy, it's very easy to see someone and then be like, G'day, man. 10, 15 minutes has disappeared and you've, you've forgotten your warm up. So I always tried to allow um, as much time there as I could. Um, I delved in and structured my, um, my time. So when I arrived on, um, on, on, on the park, and made sure that I sort of... It ticked off these different times, so when I arrived at the park, between arriving and chatting with the um, managers to set out a pre-match chat, I'd have a bit of time to um, to sort of chill and find the place. Um, and then, yeah, music was a big one. Um, uh, a good feed in the morning was always quite crucial. I didn't like to eat too close to kick-off. Um, because that always uh, is always tough to run around on a on a, on a full full stomach. Um, what else did I do? I always used to warm up. Well, well used to. I always warm up when I warm up. I um, I referee at a game of footy for ten minutes. I'll actually run around in the middle of the pitch, and pretend I'm actually in the game. I won't blow the whistle or make the signals because that would be awkward on the on, you know, teams are watching. Um, I used to do that in training, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll put the headphones in and I'll run around. And for me, it gets me in the sort of gets me in the zone. I guess it's a bit like teams. You know, they'll 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 have a team a quick sort of light team run. You know, the, the forwards will. They'll do a couple of lineup moves, the backs loose and backs moves, and then they'll come together before they go into the sheet and get going. So for me, it was a bit like that. I'd actually run around and referee a scrum, and then referee a ruck, and then there'd be a box kick or a charge down or an intercept, and I'd actually just and it, and it sort of, I, yeah, got me into into the groove and into the mover thing. So that was that was one of the one of the things that I always did. Um, always listening to music. Um, First thing I always did was skip, skip for two minutes in the shed. Um, I don't know why I started doing that, but I quite like skipping.
0: Um, mm. And probably I, the only I tried to start a, a um, hashtag for all the that real men do skip.
1: They <laughs> <laughs> do. I, I've got quite handy at it. I used to. I mean, I did it as um, in my in my uh, like when I was training on so my um, on the sort of the workouts and uh, hit. Um, workouts I used to do, i always warm up with skipping. And I just quite enjoyed it because it kind of it was my little way of sort of game face, sort of going right like, right, we're right, right, right. I'd put headphones on, I'd always listen to the same song. And it just got me in the zone. We're having a um, rocky moment. Yeah. Sort of, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. It didn't punch anyone. Um, <laughs> Thankfully. Well, a few times I felt like it. But uh, yeah, it was kind of that. It just got me into, um, into the into the zone like I'd, I'd done the pre-match chats I'd done um the yarns with the managers and the coaches and stuff so then all of a sudden it was my time and it was time to get ready so headphones went on and I'd skip sometimes I'd be skipping in the most weirdest spots in the changing sheet because they weren't big ones so I'd be in the shower trying to skip or I'd be <laughs> um, you know out in the corridor um Forsyth Bar a good one um down the actual big long alleyway out the back i was down halfway down there skipping all the people there's someone down the halfway down there skipping with um boots on and and ref kit what's he up to and they're like oh you know that's the ref so people go right okay Um, this guy (laughs) yeah yeah, this guy So yeah that was that was just those are just habits that i've i've created that that allow me to get myself into that um mindset that i need to be in um So, yeah, those are just pre-game rituals. Um, Fridays were always a day of doing anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, Throughout the week, you'd obviously have your days to watch different footy and do your preparation and that. Um, I religiously had my bag packed on a Wednesday night. Um, I always had a list, but that stemmed from a season where I lived when I was in Waikai and I travelled to Invercargill was when I first started doing predominantly prems. And honestly, about four out of the oh, 15 games that I reffed, I got there and I'd forgotten something.
0: Oh,
1: shit. I always forgot a towel. <laughs> always, always forgot a towel. So the warehouse would often provide me with a towel. Um, I forgot boots. I'd always forget one thing. Like boots was – was, I forgot – one season I forgot two sets of boots. Um, and so I had to buy boots, which was a bit poor because I was in the, in the New Zealand on the refereeing squad and we got kit supplied, so I had free boots sitting at home, but I had to go and buy boots um, and because we were sponsored by Adidas, I could have gone and bought Mizunos and worn them in club rugby, it wouldn't have been a bad, bad thing, but um, yeah, I always went and bought Adidas and of course they're not cheap. I uh, often forgot a whistle, so yeah, same thing whip in the Rebel sport and get a whistle um, but from then on i created i had a little box i called my kit of shit and it's got um about six or eight whistles in it um 15 or 20 um old the old 20 cent 50 cent pieces the big ones the <laughs> so, coin cool toss cuz here in the mud um watch i often forgot my watch um so yeah it, it wasn't until i had that season that i was like well mate, i need to i need to make a plan here so I wrote a list of everything that I needed for, for game day, and, and on Wednesday nights, I packed it. Well, depending, I always packed it, so three days prior to kickoff. So, if my game was on a Saturday, then yep, Wednesday. If the game was on a Sunday, then um it on Thursday. And the only... I thought I had a podcast today. Only, only, only one thing I've done, which I'm probably looking back now is a bit weird, but I've... Since my first-class debut in 20... No, since when I made the South Island Zone Squad to so doing um, and um, you know, Southland, B, Otago, B stuff. I've had the same pair of undies that I've worn as a referee. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah, I've always been washed in between, obviously, but they're they're always my game day game day jocks. Um, That's <laughs> that in better condition than what I would most people probably think, because that stems back to twenty ten. So, um I've done ten years. Uh, that level so they're probably due for a change but shout out to jockeys like they're still actually that's outstanding (laughs) yeah
0: yeah mate this is this has been a freaking awesome yarn just off the cuff and and you know as i said thanks so much for delving deep into to some of your experiences um you know they're not always easy to to relive um but uh You've, you've said it a few times, and we've talked about it, the real effect. Where do people find you and find the real effect, and, and how do they connect and, and move forward with, with this sort of thing, if it, if it sounds like them? Yeah, so we, we've,
1: got, we've got the social media channels. We're on Instagram and, um, and Facebook. Facebook's probably the easiest one to, to, to connect with us on. We've got a website up and running, so it's realeffect.co.nz, Real reel spelt with two, um, two E's, like the fishing reel. Um, and we're based, based in Nelson, so we our missions are set out in the Kakarunga National Park, which is a pretty cool little location. Um, no cell phone reception anything like that. Um, and we run these missions, three day missions, every sort of one one every month, um, end of every month. So we've got one coming up in a couple of weeks, um, and then yeah, November, December, moving on. So. Um, in an ideal world, I'd work for it full time, mate, and I'd run these missions every weekend just to get mm-hmm. the blokes out and, and away. But it's small steps at the moment, and just trying to um, trying to start building that awareness of what it what it is and what it, what we're trying to achieve. Um, it's a it's a two night, 3 day two night um, yeah, outdoor getaway, or sort of men's mental health retreat. Um, so we head off out into the bush on the on the Friday. Um, we spend the day, spend the night setting up camp. Everything's provided, food, um, tent gear, uh, you know, etc. You just basically need to turn up with um a sleeping bag and clothes, warm clothes in the in the attitude to disconnect. Um and yeah, so we get out and do that, learn the art of fly fishing, we get out in nature. What what we're trying, what I'm wanting to do is have those weekends, but also set it up as um, trying to set up as a charity, um, so you know, obviously we can get some bit more bit more financial assistance to make this um, a lot more appealing to people. I think, as we as we know, you know, m- mental health can um, affect us in a whole different range, and one of them it can be financial.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so if I can make it, um, if I can make it free for every bloke. To be able to come on, then um, you know. And as long as we can cover the costs of everything, then then that's that's the overall goal. Um, but I want to set up a program where, for the guys that need a bit more support than the blokes that just need a weekend to chill out, we would have sort of oh, sort of four four or five days out in the bush, um, get the professionals in. Um, I'm I'm by no means a professional when it comes to um, you know mental health, um, but just get that support out there for these blokes. Introduce them to this, um, you know, to a potential hobby. And then from there, have six or eight weeks where they get that support ongoing. So mm-hmm. they'll get access to a counsellor and they'll get, you know, say a gym membership to keep that physical component up. Um, and then at the end of that six or eight weeks, we'd come back out to the bush sort of for four or five days and, and, and recap what we've achieved and then sort of reset and refocus moving forward and hopefully in that create a bit of a brotherhood. Um, because as those guys are on that six or eight week journey, they'll be doing it hopefully together Mm. and they can share those experiences with each other to obviously better better help and better better support each other, which is what I'm trying to do by sharing my story is hopefully connect others to be able to do the same. So running a little um, fundraiser at the moment, I'm pretty fortunate, as I said, in the the rugby circles to um, meet some pretty awesome blokes and, managed to get five um, signed Super Rugby jerseys from the 2020 um, Super Rugby Aotearoa season. And I've got them up on the um, Facebook page, just trying to um, uh, fundraise and raffle them off at the end of the month. Um, it's a $5 entry to whatever jersey you want um, and for as many entries as you want. Um, and, yeah, hopefully that can raise a bit of money to go back in to pay for these um, these trips to get, these, get our blokes out and off-grid.
0: Wicked bloody awesome, and I'll try to get all those uh, links into the show notes. Mate, you've um, given us plenty of tools and plenty of frameworks and ways to think about stuff, um, so you're probably going to have to dig deep for this one. What's well, something that uh, always shows up in your life and means that you're in that flow state and things are going well? Um, it can be a mantra or a or a quote or just, yeah, a, a thing oh. I practice
1: um i've got plenty of quotes um i think uh one thing actually one thing that I've do, i i do before every single game uh, of rugby is um i find a space somewhere on the field it's usually in the end goal either on the posts or in the corner and i'll listen to uh, a poem our deepest fear mm-hmm. And you heard that one? Yeah. Deepest fear. I've sort of summed it up a little bit shorter, but it goes, um, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Uh, our deepest fear is that we're powerful beyond measure. Um, playing small in this world, uh, there's nothing enlightening about shrinking so other feels other people don't feel insecure around you. Uh, we're all meant to shine as others do. Cool. Um, wow. And as we let uh, our own light shine, we unconsciously let other people to, um, the opportunity to do the same. As as we're liberated from our own fears, our presence automatically liberates others. And that's something that I listen to before every single game and it just enlightens me to know that what I am trying to achieve in my life will hopefully, um, and bring that light will hopefully liberate others to do the same. So in a roundabout way, um, yeah, I'm just trying to bring my own light to hopefully light up someone else's world and they can turn to the same for
0: others. Magic, mate. That's mm-hmm. what this podcast is all about. Uh, giving the proof, giving the permission for people to go out there and get after it. And, and yeah, exactly that. Share their light as well. So thanks so much, man, for sharing that and everything that you've shared in this conversation, you know, all we've good, like, I appreciate it. been talking about doing this for a while and it's bloody awesome to, to do it, especially after a great All Blacks win. So thanks yeah. so much. Yeah. MIT, no, um, we'll
1: press stop Thanks. on that Thanks for having me on mate, appreciate it it's, um, it's awesome what you're doing Being able to share other people's stories as well And uh, um, yeah You're doing a good job too mate, so I appreciate your time
0: Cheers mate, awesome What a Bloody brilliant way to finish Our deepest fear Is often ourselves um, You know Those, those, those quotes around um, Mark Twain That I spoke about in that little riff I had in the last episode Um, I've lived a great many years and and known a great number of worries, many of which have never happened, is along those same lines and such a powerful why and a powerful place to start from there from Mike you know, hoping and, and he definitely is that his light gives permission for other people to share their light and that creates more light in the world. Bloody, bloody awesome. Um, It's such a positive place to come from, and what this podcast is all about, sharing the light, sharing the love, and giving anyone that listens the permission to do great things. And what was really powerful about this conversation is Mike sharing his experience of when it's tough, and I've often said it, it does take sometimes going through some tough shit to know that you're going to get on the other side and great things are going to happen. Um, that state of depression does not define you. It's it's a point in time. Um, yeah, there, there's really a, a lot to be said for grit and carrying on and pushing on and uh, it's definitely going to be tough it's not going to be easy but finding that courage finding that ability to seek help to seek more knowledge to learn to grow um, really means that your world and the world can be a better place because without you and whoever you are without you the world's not the same Um, i've said many many times if you're feeling rough, reach out. Um, I was reading a story the other day on stuff about a 29-year-old female sports person in Australia who, you know, she'd played AFL and Women's NRL and Women's NFL. Um, had, you know, as the article said, passed away. But of course, at the bottom of the article, there was all the links to to finding help. Um, Myself and many people on this podcast have said, just flick me a message. Um, I don't care if I don't know you. I'm here to listen. I'm not I'm not going to judge. And if you need someone to talk to, reach out. And then we can, together, maybe put one foot in front of the other. <laughs> I don't know if you follow David Goggins or not, but holy shit. Uh, I think it was Clay Adam put up on his Instagram that... Um, He's lost the plot, and I love it. And I <laughs> packed that sentiment up. What a dude. Uh, did the Miab 240 on the weekend, and he's back out there running one foot in front of the other. Oh, that sort of shit's so powerful. <laughs> Cameron Haynes, check him out too. Like, honestly, there's there's no shortage of motivation and inspiration out there in the world. Um, take, take what you need and, and go with it and uh, yeah one foot in front of the other L- loved this conversation sorry again about the audio it was, it was so gutting when, when that happens you're having this outstanding conversation and someone's um, pouring their heart out and, and the uh, technicalities of it all all break up that's why I'm, I'm trying to up the technology and hopefully we can do more in person um, in person chats because that makes it so more reliable um, it's just there's a little bit of a cost involved so of course, if you're out there listening and you're and you're keen on on sponsoring something you know that the uh the door's always open to talk talk that through but um yeah, what you can do is head over to Waiketo, w a i k e t zero dot p a u v i t n o w dot com and order some exogenous ketones if that's what you're into if you're looking at tapping into ketosis that helps support the podcast. Whereas uh, checking out Modern Pirate and using the discount code STAGROAR, S-T-A-G-R-O-A-R, as I said at the start of the show, uh, 10% off, and and that also helps out the podcast. Leaving a rating or a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to, of course, that helps boost it on those platforms and sharing on your socials, reaching out. Um, As I said, I'd love to hear from you. It's always good to interact, Um, even the negative stuff like I had today, what what a laugh. Um, Yeah, finally finally cracked it, finally got some abuse online. (laughs) So good to be back, Um, got a few planned as well, so it it should be back on the week. Sometimes you just need a little bit of a deload um, and uh, not to focus on the externals as we spoke about there, filling your own cup up and um, yeah, it's good to be back. And uh, I hope to bring you a few more episodes um, on the weekly. Thanks again. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. This was wicked. And uh, cheers. Catch you next time on The Staggerall.